Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm excited to share with you again because the last time I shared on this platform, uh, a can of worms was opened in my heart that's actually been keeping me going for uh, about a month now. Uh, it was the first time I ministered a message that I entitled From Cliché to Character. And it's really just stirred so many things in my heart that the following Sunday I ministered it in our church. This week I ministered part three in our church. I, I originally thought it was going to be a one-part message. But yet, there's something that's resonating in this with not only my heart, but I sense and I trust with your hearts as well. So I want to spend a little bit of time because it was now probably three weeks ago or, or even a month ago where I, I preached part one of this series from cliche to character. So I'll give you just, I suppose I'll spend the first five, ten minutes just giving a bit of a recap on part one so that we can journey together and follow the same train of thought. A good place to start is to define what I mean when I say from cliche to character. Now, what is a cliche? A cliche is a saying or an idea that's become overused to the point of losing its original meaning or effect, even to the point of being trite or irritating, especially when at some earlier time it was considered meaningful or novel. And really the context of, of what all of this is about. We have gathered here in this setting, most of us for years, some of us have come on in the last year or two, but have been around church for many, many years, have been around the word of God and preaching and teaching for many, many years. And what that what can happen is during that time, we can develop such a familiarity with parts of the word of God, with certain verses or certain scriptures that they actually become almost like a cliche to us. We've heard them so many times. We're so familiar with them. but they no longer carry the same power, the same impact in our hearts or our lives that they used to or that God intends for them to have. They no longer shift us. They no longer challenge us or, or, or stir us on. They're just kind of things out there. And sometimes when, you know, we say them, we throw them out or people throw them at, at us. We may be saying we're going through a hard time and somebody will say, oh, just cast your burdens onto Jesus. He cares for you. Or, you know. Oh, I'm having, I, I don't know how I'm going to do that. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And, you know, these things, they're true. But in those moments, they don't feel helpful. In fact, in sometimes and in some cases, depending on what's going on in your heart, they may actually drive you towards a desire for violent response. Hmm, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, to say, don't give me, you know, say things to just, swab off and 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 erase and sweep under the rug the things i'm feeling inside by just quoting me some scripture now the point is this that our bibles the word of god is true it is powerful it's the word of god and it still works dynamically today as it did the way the day god spoke it and each promise from god is a call it's a call to our faith it's a call up into his way of thinking and into a new experience and what the word of God does and what his promises do is they test our hearts so that we can see 
God knows for sure, but so that we can see where our trust is truly anchored. We looked at the example of Joseph. Uh, when he was a young man, he had these dreams that one day his brothers would bow down to him. Now, in the natural, in all natural probability, that was impossible. He was the second youngest. Uh, his brothers hated his guts because he was his father's favorite. And, you know, so he kind of tried to rub their noses in it. And, yeah, one day you're going to bow down to me. And it didn't go down so well for, with them. We know what happened. Joseph was sold into slavery. And then faithfulness in slavery led him up to promotion. And again, then down into the dungeon. And we see Joseph. Um, it took 17 years from the time those dreams were given to him until the fulfillment of those dreams came to pass. And in that journey of 17 years, we see Joseph getting promoted. We see him getting hit back down and we see him getting promoted and hit back down and having to wrestle within himself, given his circumstances and understanding what does all of this mean in relation to those dreams that God gave me all those years ago. Psalm 105, 19 says that until his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. It tested him. Would he remain faithful? Would he still believe God? Even when things in his life seemed to contradict what the promise of God said. Now, the word of God, like I said, tests us. And the purpose of testing is to reveal to ourselves our own areas of weakness or the deficiencies in our faith or our areas of vulnerability. Because all of those areas will undermine the efficiency or the effectiveness of the promises of God and, and, and the places to which God wants to take us. You see, the word of God did for Joseph exactly what the word of God does for you and I today. It presents us with an expectation that is outside of what we would consider to be normal probability. And that's why it takes faith to bring it into reality. And that's also why that which we say we believe needs to be tested for our sake so that we can see what's truly going on in our hearts. What is normal probability? Well, normal probability has everything to do with where you were raised, your level of education, the, the way you see yourself, the way you see the world around you, the way the world sees you. All of these things define normal probability. And so here in South Africa, my normal probability, my idea of a normal probability growing up as an advantaged young white man looked very different to the probabilities of somebody who was raised up in a township in my country, whose parents were probably, you know, uneducated, potentially, whose father was most likely not present. What, what are their natural probabilities potentially be? However, the wonderful thing about the word of God is that it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter where we come from. The word of God is not subject to our upbringing, our birth, none of these things. But yet it creates the same expectation and delivers the same promises to each and every single one of us without favoritism. One is not higher than another in the realm of faith. And so this is the call where as we become familiar with what the word of God says, we need to allow that word instead of just to be some cliche that's out there, but allow that word to begin to change not just our hearts or our thinking, but who we are. And we see that with Abraham and Sarah. Their journey of faith took 25 years from the initial promise that God gave to Abraham 
uh, and then additional encounters with God. I won't go into all the details of that. But it, it came to the point of 20, 24 years after God made the promise, both Abraham and Sarah are now laughing at God. And they're literally laughing. The Bible says Abraham fell in his face laughing. How on earth will we have a child? You know, these promises you've given, it's, it's, it's not only outside of the realm of probability. It's now gotten to the point where we're 99 years old. It's outside the realm of possibility. And then we know that there was that moment where God came to visit Abraham under the, the terebinth trees in Mamre. And he asked him a question and said, Abraham, is anything too hard for God? And I believe that that question was a, a watershed moment in Abraham's life. Because I think after that, it was, it was not long after that, that Abraham and Sarah conceived. And it was not long after that when, when obviously Isaac was born. But it was a question that shifted Abraham. And he took him from this promise, which now seems something that I've heard for 24 years, that some kind of one day by and by thing, this, this thing might happen, to actually make me question the real convictions of my heart and ask myself the question, is anything too hard for God? It's interesting that when the New Testament looks back on Abraham and Sarah, it says these things. It says about Abraham in Romans 4, 19 to 21, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old or the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to, to perform. Now, we know if we follow the narrative, it doesn't seem like that's actually what happened. Abraham needed a lot of convincing, but there came a day. There came a moment where, where transition took place and he became utterly convinced, no longer vacillating, no longer questioning. Now, this journey of, into and of faith is a deeply personal journey that every one of us needs to travel with God. This is between me and God, between you and God in receiving and working out his promises to you and I. It's the journey of embracing the expectations and the promises that he gives us and going after them. It's the journey of making them our own and letting them define who we are and what we pursue. But the sobering reality is that the Bible teaches us that not everybody succeeds in this endeavor. Not everybody, despite having the word of God, is able to make this heart's transition. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, we see that the, the writer says, that indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. And so we can see that this word, the word, can be preached to any number of people. But somehow, for some reason, it works for some and it doesn't seem to work for others. Why not? Because for many people, so much of what the word of God says remains a cliche. It maybe was powerful or relevant in bygone days, but today, no way. Later on in that same chapter of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, it says this, and I want to read it to you from the, the Passion Translation. It says, so then we must be eager to experience this faith rest so that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. 
For we have the living word of God, which is full of energy, like a two-mouthed sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being, where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our heart. The true thoughts and the secret motives of our hearts. You see, folks, acknowledging the true thoughts that are in our hearts and the acknowledging the secret motives that we keep hidden, not only from others, but in honesty, sometimes we, we, we struggle to admit them for ourselves. Acknowledging these things is the first step to doing something about them. It's the first step of repentance. And remember, repentance is simply turning from my way of thinking and facing towards and embracing and going after God's way of thinking. That's the essence of repentance. It's one of the greatest gifts that God gives us is the ability to repent. Romans 12 verse 2. It's a very familiar verse. So that's why I want to read it to you from the message translation. It says this. Don't be so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Now, let's pause for a moment here. In other words, your culture and the prevailing way of thinking around you is based on natural expectations, on natural probabilities, based on who you are, your circumstances, your financial status, all these kinds of things. And Paul says, don't allow those things to define your expectations or experiences. He goes on to say, instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. And so we begin to see that this level of, of th this journey of, of, of transitioning from cliche to character, the reason it's not just from cliche to, to wisdom or cliche to knowledge is because the word of God is so powerful that it literally changes who we are. It changes our hearts in the process. And it's this fixing our attention deliberately on God and on the word of God that makes all the difference in this battle. Like I said, this is a deliberate and a purposeful thing. This doesn't just happen by accident. If it just, if we could just kind of stumble on it, or if it was just a casual thing, then you know what? Everybody'd be doing it. It would be easy. But it's a deliberate decision to go after the, the, the experiences and the promises that God makes over us, as opposed to our natural understanding of normal probability. It doesn't happen by accident, and it takes discipline, and it takes effort. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, Paul writes, So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. In other words, he's saying to you, hey, this is not just about good intentions. This is about actually going to the next level. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along eyes to the ground. Now, that's a really, that's a key phrase. And you're going to see, we, we're going to start transitioning here. The eyes and what you see have, and what you focus your attention on has a lot to do with this battle. Don't shuffle along eyes to the ground absorbed with the things right in front of you. No, look up, be alert to what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. You see, folks, the reason that so much of what God says to us 
can feel like a cliche is because it's directly at odds with our understanding. It's often directly at odds with natural probability and the normal course of events that we expect in the world around us. These things speak to the very core of our being and they're centered on our response to an expectation that is created beyond the realms of natural probability. We need to understand we're dealing with the supernatural here. We're dealing with the power of God and, and the words and the promises of God that he longs to bring the supernatural realm into our natural experience, not just for our blessing, but for the blessing of those around us. Now concerning God's word and our heart attitude towards it and the things that we're so familiar with, but that seem to be in some ways cliches. There's three words that come up again and again in scripture. And in fact, we've already covered all three in this message alone. Our attitude towards this God, uh, towards this word is divided up into three categories. Number one, there's doubt. This doubt is the state of mind that allows our natural understanding and natural probability to establish our expectation and therefore our resultant behavior. In other words, we lean, we doubt what God says because in, the, in everything we see around us, it's highly unlikely and highly improbable. And what that really means is what doubt says is, I'm not so sure about that. I don't trust that word. I don't really trust God. I don't really trust what he's saying there. And it leads to me ultimately rejecting that word and placing my, tr my, my trust elsewhere. I therefore place my trust in my knowledge, my experience, the world system, my abilities, another person. But I don't believe or I'm not convinced about those things. I'm not come to the point where I trust it. Therefore, I doubt it. I doubt if it's true. I doubt if it's powerful. I doubt if it's possible. The other side of that is faith. And faith is the state of heart and mind that allows the word of God to establish expectation and therefore resultant behavior. It says, I do believe it. I believe it to the point where I trust it completely. I embrace it as truth and I act on it accordingly. So we have doubt, which rejects it. We've got faith, which accepts and reject and, and, and uh, which accepts it and, um, and follows it. And then we have the other word, which is the word unbelief. And this is the state of heart and mind that vacillates between the two. It's the power of indecision that leads us to a place of instability. And this is where most of us as believers struggle. Unbelief tries to consider two opinions. It tries to consider this is what God says, and this is what my understanding or my expectation says. And it kind of weighs them on scales. You know what I mean? Okay, if I, if, if I get enough evidence, then this side goes. But then if I read this article, then it might go that way. But then if I read this scripture, I'll st But then so-and-so said this. But God said this. Oh, but, but they did that, and that happened. And we kind of vacillate by considering both options and we get trapped in the grapple of yes but yes but god says oh yes but the situation says yes but this yes but that you see unbelief is the power and the influence that the consideration of that which is contrary to the expectation that god's word creates has over you let me say that again unbelief is the power or influence that considering any expectation that's contrary to what God's word says 
has over you. Now we saw how Abraham wrestled and grappled with yes, but. Yes, but I have no child. Yes, but I have this. Yes, but Sarah is too old. <laughs> and it took him many, many years until he actually dealt with his yes, but and came into that place of being utterly convinced. Let me give you some other examples. Uh, let's start with a couple from the Old Testament. And I want you to see how this game is played out. And I'm going to give you a few examples. And we're going to be able to, I believe, find ourselves in these examples. Because this is a game we often play with ourselves. The first one is Israel when they came up to the Red Sea. Now let's remember here, Israel had just seen the mighty hand of God displayed in, uh, in all these plagues against the nation of, uh, of Egypt. We, they've just come through the Passover. They've just come out of Egypt dripping with gold. And what happens? They come up to the Red Sea. And we join the story in Exodus 14 from verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold. And then we got a key. They saw something. They saw something that affected their state of heart and mind. What did they see? The Egyptians marched after them. So they were afraid because they saw it and they considered it. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told? We told you in Egypt saying, leave us here that we can serve the Egyptians. Or it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians and that we should, than that we should die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, stand still and you will see. And we have it again. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, shall, you shall see again no more. The Lord will fight for you. You shall hold your peace. So we see how how despite the miraculous presence of God with them, despite the miraculous things that have happened. They vacillated and they doubted. And we know what happened. Of course, God opened the Red Sea. The people of Israel marched through and the waters took out the entire army of Egypt in one moment. We see the same thing repeating itself at the River Jordan. People of Israel had now been in the wilderness for 40 years. And they sent spies. Sorry, no, 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 not yet. They hadn't been there for 40 years. They now come to the Jordan. They sent spies into the land to check out the land. And the spies came back and they gave a report. Ten of them gave a negative report. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, gave a different report. Let's look at the negative report first. Numbers 13, 33 said, there we saw the giants. They saw the giants. They considered their size, the descendants of Anak. And, that we, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. This has everything to do with perception, with consideration, with what you see, not just with your physical eyes, but in your heart of hearts. And we know that the people of Israel, as a result, they believed their story. But look at what Caleb and Joshua said, who went to spy out the same land, who saw the same giants. Numbers 14, verses 6 to 9. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, 
He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. I love that. In other words, God's going to give them to us like for, for our bread. This is for our good. And their protection is departed for them before the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And here we begin to see the difference between sight and vision. Sight sees things. Vision sees the future according to a different expectation. You see, vision doesn't deny current reality. It simply looks beyond it. <laughs> and that's what faith gives us. That's what this word of God gives us. It gives us vision. It enables us to see beyond natural probability, to see beyond our current circumstances. Let's look at some New Testament examples now. I'm going to take you to the book of Matthew, chapter 14, to a familiar story where Peter and the disciples are out on a boat and Jesus comes to visit them in the middle of the night and there's a storm going. And verse 28, Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, come. And when Peter had come down from the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus. This miracle just really boggles my mind. I think we spend so much time focusing on the fact that Peter sank. But listen, Peter walked. Peter walked on water. It's incredible. But then something happened. When he saw, again, we have this, this, this thing with vision. When he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Are oh, you of little faith? Why did you doubt? And so here we see. When Peter fixed his eyes on Jesus, he was literally walking on water. When he fixed his eyes on the natural circumstances around him, he succumbed to them. When we fix our eyes on the Lord and on the word of God, we are able to live in a plane and in a plateau that exceeds natural probabilities. However, if we keep our eyes on the world around us, we will succumb to that which it speaks to us, to that which it throws at us. We will succumb to the fear. We will succumb to the insecurity and the doubt and the unbelief. Let's look at another example of when the disciples couldn't cast out an epileptic spirit. Mark chapter 9, verses 17 to 24. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, they're talking to Jesus, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Now let's pause for a second. The disciples had been casting out demons. They'd been going around. You remember the 70 came back to Jesus and said, and your name, even the demons are, are, are coming out. We're healing the sick. There's, there's miracles happening. But yet here, Something went wrong. Verse 19, he answered and said to them, Our faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. 
So he asked his father, how long, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And he often has thrown him both into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out with tears, saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I love this because I, I think this is just raw and it is honest. And I think many of us can identify with the state of heart and mind. Jesus, I believe your word, but help my unbelief because in my heart, there's still vacillations. One day I'm up and the next day I'm down. One day I feel like I've got faith to move mountains, but the next day just the slightest bit of bad news and I'm questioning everything all over again. Let me ask you this. Why do you think the spirit convulsed the boy when the father brought him to Jesus? I have a hypothesis. Probably because it worked when they brought him to the disciples. <laughs> they brought this boy to the disciples. Suddenly he's convulsing, he's foaming at the mouth. The disciples see this and something happens inside them that everything they'd done up to that point, they can't do anymore. You see, it managed to get them focused on what was going on in the natural. Oh, Lord God, help our unbelief. Help us, Lord, when we get so stuck on focusing on what's going on in the natural. Let me read you my final scripture for the day before we read out, before, we, before I round out. The book of James chapter 1 has something to say about this, this heart of unbelief that we grapple with, this vacillation between faith and, and doubt and, and being unsure, where we consider both the natural and the word of God almost as though they have equal value. James chapter 1 from verse 5 to 8 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting or wavering, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and therefore unstable in all his ways. You see, our faith doesn't work. Our walk with Jesus has all kinds of perversions and pitfalls and and it's it, it's ineffective as long as we have a wavering heart and a wavering mind this is one of the reasons god tests our faith that we can see that through the journey of trans of, of transitioning from this being something we know in our heads that's just some interesting words to actually being a part of who we are in that process the wavering is being dealt with and i want to give you as i round out today a strategic secret that this battle this fight of faith this battle of transitioning from cliche to character is not one out there on the front lines of the battlefield this battle is one behind the scenes in the supply lines whoever controls the supply lines to your heart controls the fight let me give you some examples any of you familiar with world war ii history will know of a german commander called Rommel, who was a he, he was one of their, their top generals, and he controlled vast areas 
in North Africa. However, he was ultimately defeated by the British because they managed to cut off the supply lines to his, fort, to his, to his troops. The supply lines through Tunisia were cut off. The supply lines from Italy over, over the Mediterranean, they cut him off. And what happened is eventually they overwhelmed him because he couldn't get the supplies he needed. The same thing happened to the German war effort when they went into Soviet territory. They pursued east and they went further than what they could supply. So winter set in, all the roads became bogged down and they couldn't get supplies to the, to the soldiers. Soldiers had the nicest bunkers, they had the warmest uniforms, but they literally starved to death. They couldn't continue fighting. You see, in this journey, in this fight of faith, there's two things we need to do. Number one, we need to cut off supply to the enemy's voice. We need to cut off the considerations that keep forcing our eyes onto the natural circumstances when we know that those circumstances that we are trying to deal with in those areas of our lives are contrary to what the Word of God says. The more consideration we give to them, the greater our struggle will be with unbelief. We've got to cut off the supply lines. And number two, we need to keep ourselves well-fueled with the truth of God's word. Well-fueled with what God says about us and about our situations. One of the most effective tools that we have to do this is the spiritual discipline of fasting. You see, fasting is where you proclaim not to God, but really to yourself to your flesh that you are hungrier for something else than you that you cannot see than you are for that which you can see it is developing an appetite for that which is improbable that which is beyond the realm of possibility that which is what only god can do and in order to do that we need to put off the flesh we need to put off the considerations that weigh us down that hold us down from transitioning to where it is that God wants us to be. Fasting is one of the greatest tools that we have to transition us, help us transition from cliche to character, from where this is just something very interesting, or it's become something we're so familiar with that it no longer has power, to the point where I've managed to discipline and silence those voices which undermine this or question it. And help me align my heart and my mind completely with the truth of what God's word says. And then begin walking it out and begin living it out and begin walking in the goodness. This is the fight of faith. This is what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And I believe that this is where God is calling us. Folks, if I'm honest with myself, over the past few weeks as I've been considering this message, I have to acknowledge that I'm dissatisfied because I see there is a disparity in my own life between what I confess or I say I believe versus my experience concerning certain areas. And I share this with you because I, I believe the same would be said of, of most of us, if not all of us. And I want to encourage you, the purpose of this message is to say to you today, do not be content where you are. Don't allow the things you think you know, but that no longer have power to just remain like that in your life. It's time to deal with them. It's time to take a step. It's time to take action and allow God to work in us, to take us beyond what we, we just know in our minds and say, God, I'm not satisfied with this anymore. I want to move on with you. I want to see your spirit and your power and work within my heart and within my life. And I'm willing to do whatever is required.
Cut off the other voices. Cut off the other influences. Give your heart to the Lord with renewed and refreshed fervor and conviction. And say, Father, make this life enlighten me. God will honor that decision. God will honor that dissatisfaction. And he will take you from cliche. And he will take his word within you from cliche. And make it a part of your character. That you may walk in the light. And walk in the power of the word of God. By the grace of Jesus Christ in the power of the spirit. So I commend you to him tonight. And I pray that, that what I've shared with you today. Has hopefully stirred something in you. The word of God is not an automatic thing that works in our lives. It doesn't just happen. It requires us to wrestle with it. It's the most rewarding wrestle. It's the most rewarding battle. And I want to encourage you in that. Take the fight to yourself. <laughs> Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.